You're listening to Napa Valley College Now on NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at NapaBroadcasting.com. For as long as I can remember, people have been asking what goes on at Napa Valley College. No, not the business of educating students, but the sometimes mysterious process of how the college operates. Going all the way back to the 90s and the aughts, there has been or appeared to be a cloak of mystery that surrounds the institution. Justified or not, it's always been the perception. Over the years, candidate after candidate has run for the college board, saying their goal was to improve the relationship between the college and the community. Presidents of the college have promised the same thing. Some, like current college president and superintendent Dr. Ron Kraft, has worked very hard at it. But something always seems missing. For presidents or board members, it's not just about showing up and sharing. It's allowing the public to take a look behind the curtain and understand how Napa Valley College, not unlike the 113 other community colleges around California, really do operate. Napa Valley College and the community colleges in general are not like NVUSD or a traditional public school district with its top-down governance. It's about shared governance, competing interest groups, and a much more complicated and sophisticated level of governance and operation. It's possible that this November a bond issue for the college may appear on the ballot. That decision is yet to be made. But if it does, there's no question that in that campaign you'll hear a lot about the buildings, you'll hear the usual anti-tax groups trashing it, and you'll hear the positive message about how it'll help the students. But before you hear any of it, or even attempt to understand it, it's important that you understand how Napa Valley College operates, its governance, and the process that really brought the bond to the public. In short, pulling back the curtain on the great and powerful Oz. And here to help us do that and to understand that, I am joined by the current president and superintendent of Napa Valley College, Dr. Ron Kraft. Ron, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you very much, Jeff. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. First of all, is it your perception that there is a kind of mystery sometimes, a kind of governance that people just don't understand with respect to how it works, not just here at Napa Valley College, but for that matter, any college and university, and more specifically to the other 113 community colleges throughout the state of California? You said it. Uh, (laughs) There is a... Uh, a very complicated system in California, and I would say of all the all the the states um, that have community colleges, which is all of them, the um, the California system is noted for its complexity, its layered versions, and um, as I like to say, that it's like the immutable laws of the universe: time, space, gravity, and the orbits. Um, that if they can seem completely implausible or un, you know um, unintelligible, but um, once you kind of get it, you can look at it from a holistic vantage point. Mm-hmm. And um, the community college system is like that. I mean, right. it's got rules, right? And it doesn't fit into the the normal perceptions that people have of regular school districts. I use, you know, NVUSD as an example because we're all familiar with it, which is a pretty standard top-down system. You have a superintendent, you have a cabinet, you've got people that, that the superintendent chooses, and, and it works the way people see most organizations working, whether it's businesses. or But colleges are a whole different animal in that regard. They are, especially community colleges. We have our own system, own legislative rules, own portions of the ed code, and 
Title IX. So there are so many kind of compliance pieces. Um, in California, uh, an additional layer is from the state side, there's a state chancellor's office, and, he, and that person is appointed by a board of governors who are appointed by the state's governor. So those are political appointments, and that chancellor serves at the pleasure of those political appointees. So the things that he directs in terms of vision or rules or compliance um, are from the get-go uh, overladen with some political pressure. And then each of the 114 colleges have their, I shouldn't say that, each of the of the community college districts, I think it's about 73 or four, right. somewhere in there, have their own locally elected board, like our seven members, who each bring their own political vantage point. It's a political office. Um, so you have um, at once before you ever get to any even issue at a local community college, um, a lot of political input, both from the national state, state chancellor's office, um, local elected's office, before it ever even gets to the notice of the superintendent president, who's the only employee of the local um, electeds. Explain that. That, that. That's an interesting point to make. There's a couple of things I want to talk about. But while we're on that, that the superintendent, the president, is literally the only employee of the elected college board. That's right. The, the way that they work in California is the, the board is elected and generally at large. So there's in our, in our case, we have seven members. They, they only can operate as a body and not individually. So they have no authority outside of their collective um, vote. One of the things they do is to hire and monitor their only employee, which is the superintendent president. So that's me. And then every other employee in the entire system is kind of funneled through or works um, through relationships with the superintendent president. One of the things that seems to be true with respect to the broader community college system in California, and it seems to filter down to, to literally each campus on its own, is that the governance is bottom-up and top-down at the same time. And it creates interesting contradictions in that. It is, and it may be even a little more complex than the, you know that hourglass that you described. But from the top, I mean, to make it simple, you got the, the local board, and the president is below that. Um, then it kind of works its way down to to the center of this hourglass and at the bottom by law there are some people who who have a place at the table so the faculty have um, uh, a 10 plus one um, which is there are 10 things in law plus one that they have control over or at least a, a, a good deal of influence over curriculum um, evaluations, hire and fire rights, all of those things. So you could have a good idea from a board, for example. Let's let's do women's soccer or some other thing. Right. A board member, filter generally to the president. Good idea. Let's see what we do. Um, at that point in time, since that's a curriculum issue, it, you have to find a champion from the bottom of that hourglass either way you want to look at this it's not the, you know not pecking order um, 
to have this work its way up through a curriculum. And hopefully, and most of the times, they kind of meet in the middle for a perfect marriage, and you can kind of work your way through. And of course, the overlay to that, as you talked about before, are the curriculum guidelines and rules and regulations that come from the state. Right, yeah. Um, there are so many, it's overladen. It's like any system. Uh, you know, after a while, there are rules on rules. Right. So there are many countermanded rule, countermanded rules. Um, for example, you have to spend um, 50% of your dollars, for example, um, in on classroom, um, which, which overtly is a good rule passed way back in the day to keep uh, classroom teachers in the classroom and provide materials for students. But it didn't anticipate when it was passed any of the distance education or support pieces. So none of those count. So um, it, it puts a local district in a, in a very odd position of following the law, but not supporting student success by not putting too much in technology. Um, and it, so it's an odd, a kind of an odd duck, mm -hmm. as an example, for right. example. And talk about all the various players there are within the campus itself in terms of, you mentioned faculty before, mm -hmm. but there, there's the, the academic faculty, there's the classified employees, there's, there's the various individuals, and then there's the union organization. I mean, there's a lot of different constituencies internally as well. It, it is. I think I, I have used this in the past. The best way to think about it in, in a non-pejorative way, he says, is, <laughs> is some kind of a Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and at the table, it's a, it's a family. And I, I'll use Napa Valley College as a good example. It's a family. We have our ups and downs and sometimes, you, you know, loud and not loud folks at any particular dinner. But at the table, you've got labor unions, which is the... Um, the faculty association, right. and then you have the classified professionals. So those labor unions are there for wage and benefit and separate important pieces. Then you have faculty senate, which represents the academic interests of the faculty. As opposed to the, the wage and benefit interest, two Ex separate groups, two separate organizations. Two separate groups, two separate organizations. Right. And, and then you've got the classified senate which represents the classified um interests on, in working in campus and then the administrators and then the student um, population who also have rights and and um, legal rights under the state overlaid with that there's two notions this can get a little deep but one is called just participatory decision making so one says that in the state of California, especially community colleges, it's expected if you're going to have a good college to have everybody who's a stakeholder be participating to some extent in a decision. So that makes great sense, for example, if we were going to say, let's don't have smoking on campus. Well, there's a lot of people who want to weigh in. Some people smoke. Some people don't. Everybody's got an opinion. And it's not something that you would want to do in, in isolation, either as a president or, or a board member. Um, so generally speaking, we, we weigh into that process. Uh, I, I can go on, but I think maybe I don't want to get too 
too layered here for you. Well, no, I think it's important that people understand that it's not that it's a little like turning around, you know, a battleship at a bathtub in some mm-hmm. respects because mm-hmm. it's there are just so many different participants and players and people at that Thanksgiving table that you're talking about. There are and and so at that Thanksgiving table there are those players and each of those players represents tens of people who are not sitting at the table, sometimes hundreds of people who are not right. sitting at Thanksgiving table. So the only way that they can get those people voices heard is to create committees. So every community college will have somewhere between 10 and 20, 30 committees, which we do as well. Each committee is made up of one member of each of those family members sitting around. So classified students, faculty, administrators, um, and um, I think maybe I got them all. And, and so it gets it gets quite complex. Whether you're going out to hire a new person, right? I was going to use yeah. that as an example. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the, the hiring process: hiring a new faculty member or hiring yeah. a new administrative executive another cabinet member a little bit about how that works because i think the best way to explain it is how it would work for a particular position yeah I, and i think it's good and i think for listeners it, it's interesting if i were listening to this right now i go oh my god this is so complex but it's different than a small business where you right. say just run an ad and and take a few resumes and somebody really strikes your fancy and give them a right. shot right easy two days um, or a week or two months even for a community college it's a much more um, layered process I mean it's it's a highly bureaucratic by design not local design but by state design. state design right yeah so even to post for uh, you know any a new faculty member for example we have to work on a job description for the faculty member in in a participatory way so everybody has, they kind of have to agree on it. And here's the here's the nuance that's really important. If if you're going to be a successful president, and I would say that that anybody who served more than three years at one institution is a successful, successful president. president. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. You really need to recognize it in California. You, you need to you need to reach out to people in in a participatory way. Even if you could make the decision and just make it, um, and that's not waffling; it's just respect. So, reaching out to our local faculty to say we are going to hire a new math teacher, for example, or an English or whatever it might be, right. um, the committee that selects those those people is like the seventh step. There's a there's a a JD, a job description that's got to be done. And that everybody has to buy into. Right, and, and agree. Um, that job description flows from a joint committee and instruction that would have approved the hiring of a math person at all versus a chemistry person or a Spanish person or something else, a Spanish teacher, right? right? Um, so the, the problem there is that... Um, there are so many needs for faculty, but you can't hire a, an unlimited number. And um, once you get the JD, then you've got a search, national search, all kinds of rules and regulations um, flowing down from open access to um, diversity rules. All those things have to be met. 
have to open for a certain amount of weeks. Generally, we will open it for six weeks, close it, review and screen the initial applicants, invite, um, and that reviewing screening is done by HR. They invite them, invite the person to show up for a first interview. Um, that committee is made up of this shared governance back to the, the Thanksgiving table. Uh, members who have been selected from that committee, they review the applicants, select a group of, of people they'd like to see from say 30 applied. Now let's take a look at eight. Then they schedule interviews, same committee. After that, that committee meets, they forward to an, yet another committee, finalists. The finalists then do a second round. Then it kind of works its way up. At the end of the day, the president is the person if we, from our very beginning right. who would then um, recommend to the board that we hire this faculty member. That process on a fast track is four, four months plus. That's fast track. Generally, we try to do um, one big hire a year. So we're in the planning process now. Um, we're just finishing up last year's planning process with those final interviews, and these people will be hired and come on board in August, and then we'll begin the whole thing again anew. Um, so it's it's not like, gee, yeah, you guys should start um, some kind of a a uh, green new green thing and hire you know hire a faculty member. Why can't you do that? Well, it, it, see me in a year, provided the curriculum is there to support it. And, and that everything goes smoothly along the way. Very smoothly. And then when you don't have a search that yields a candidate at the end of the day, guess what? You have to start all over again and um, kind of work the, work the process. So, How efficient is this process? Does it serve the best interests? And, and this is, I, I want to emphasize again, this isn't the Napa Valley College process. Right. This is the process for any one of 114 different campuses or the 70 whatever it is community college districts they may all have a slight difference in variation but essentially the bureaucracy is the bureaucracy does it serve the best interests of the institutions yeah i think two questions i mean the it's incredibly equitable it's not the most efficient uh -huh. it, you know and that's an important distinction and that the most efficient way to do something is like we talked about in small business is to hire somebody um but it, we're not there. It's equitable in that they're, especially at a small college like Napa Valley, I, I use a lifeboat example a lot, you know, because you can think about the general institution, which is really big, but an individual department may have, you know, from two faculty members to 10 or even more. But the person that we're hiring, if we're using faculty, for example, mm -hmm. is the last person in the lifeboat. So this better be a good hire, and they better complement the group that's already there. Um, they need to have some kind of organizational understanding and, and uh, have, a, have a cultural mix um, in terms of understanding what a rural community college is. You know, people from a great big East Coast college, you know, generally with 40 or 50,000 in it, um, would have a tougher time being successful. Um, not that they can't be. But you kind of get the point mm -hmm. there, you know. So there, it's a it's a complication. That's just in hiring. There's, right. you know, yeah. And there are many other. Aspects oh my gosh! To yeah, it. you pick yeah. you pick the topic, and we'll have an equal um, and uh, process laden um, right. path. 
How frustrating is that to you? To oh, the president you know, of, of, yeah. of any. You know, that's a, it, that's a good question. And I, a, I, I love being a president. It's really good. Not everybody's cut out for it because you have to be able to wake up every day and reassess success, if that makes sense. So, uh, you know, without sounding too, you know, too optimistic about it, you know, I, I look at student success and, and we're doing a really good job. More students are succeeding. The system itself is not holding people back and it, it is a bit conservative you know people have used you know I, I see some language sometimes byzantine you know sometimes mm-hmm. you know old and 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 real process laden but our we just celebrated our 75th there is every every assurance you know in, unless something really critical happens in the nation that we'll be here in another 75 years or more so when you're looking at that kind of longevity as opposed to a a business entity, any business entity, or even a, even maybe a municipality, the community college has a really strong sense of its longevity. So hiring people, for example, or creating rules or um, new processes has got to be very well thought out because it really – it, it, it's really a piece of a new system. Right. I mean, I guess the broader question that I think anybody looking at the Byzantine nature of it would be forced to ask would be in, in a world that moves as quickly as ours today, mm-hmm. where creative destruction in every business sector mm-hmm. is the norm, to what extent does this Byzantine nature hold back progress? in some respects, because it's preventing change from happening at a pace that is consistent with everything that's happening around it. Well, here's some good news coming your way, right? The community college system is the incredibly flexible, nimble organization. So if you're comparing what everything we've talked about in the last 10 minutes or so with the UCs or state university systems, we are incredibly nimble. Um, our uh, talking about a Byzantine mm-hmm. situation, you know, some of the some of the rules and regs, you know, at those systems are um, unbelievably rigid. We have more uh, flexibility in new curriculum, in adapting to the local needs, right? Than any of those folks do. So that's that's one of the good things. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Talk about the local needs, because that mm-hmm. is an important part of it, and it is an area yeah. that is very different from the rest of, of the UC system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, born and raised, I was born and raised in San Diego. So m- much of the of the community college system in Southern California revolves around v- very local needs. So you, you can find a community college that's um, along the border, Southwestern Community College. So a lot of their programs are in ESL. A lot of their programs are about international marketing and maquiladoras, you know, small business, all of those things. And, and no matter where you pick, if you stick a pen in any place in California on the map and you're really looking at the community college, um, if you're looking at a Central Valley, you're likely to find high ag. Right. Napa's interesting, as we all know, right? I mean, it's a, it's at least two, maybe three layered. So it's a it's a destination town for hospitality tourism. Um, there's a strong business component of that, and 
and then there's the wine industry. Right. And underneath that, uh, so for, let me just do that from a vocational side. Those three, with along with uh, healthcare, and and some manufacturing base, are really what we do here. And it would be difficult, I think, to come in here and start a brand new, unrelated um, curriculum that just didn't right. make sense for the community at all. Talk a little bit about the way all of this works as it relates to something like the bond issue, which I, I touched on in the introduction, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. there is a process that it has to go through. I mentioned that, you know, there's been talk about one, there's been attempts mm-hmm. in the past that it may or may not wind up on the ballot come mm-hmm. November. But again, like hiring, it's not a snap decision that gets made, that it's been going through a process. Right. Talk a little about that. Yeah, it is It is a process. In, in California, there's really, in the last um, 20 years, no way for a college to go out for facilities needs and have them met through the state itself. Right. Um, there's a very small pool. There's unbelievable demand. The lion's share go to K-12s. With, with a little bit of dollars kind of flowing to the community colleges. So um, we've had it, for example, one of our buildings um, in the queue at this at the state for more than a decade. And we're still <laughs> a long way out from getting. So in, in, in most community colleges are that way. So it leaves community colleges to address the needs of the of the local region through a, a capital the facilities bond measure, which is the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that process really is about doing what we talked about, understanding the needs of the community through an educational kind of master plan, linking that to some kind of major facilities master plan, and then looking at the kinds of ways that you could fund that master plan, the facilities. Almost always, unfortunately, it's going to be through a facil- through a capital campaign, bond campaign. Mm-hmm. That's not undertaken lightly. It's a long process. As, as you talked about, maybe at the top, there are people who um, are opposed to taxes for philosophical reasons. Um, and there are people who, for philosophical reasons, you know, love anything that education does. So right. maneuvering a bond through a, a local community requires a whole bunch of steps, educating all those constituencies that we talked about around the kitchen, around the Thanksgiving table, table right. getting, their, getting their understanding and input on the facilities themselves, you know, project lists that you would do, um, a deep understanding of, of who's designing the chemistry lab, for example. It's not an architect or the president, you know, God forbid. It's, it's a faculty member who works in a chemistry lab who then can give you information. Right, and and that's one of the things that, that I see, and one of the reasons I thought it was important to have this conversation, is that people look at it and want answers right away. Mm-hmm. And it's just inconsistent with the reality of how the system operates. That you can't just say, we're building these buildings, they're gonna look like this, we've hired the architect, it's go. This is the budget done. Right. That, that the same as that hiring process is complicated, that this process, even to get it to the point of deciding to do it, is equally complicated. It's a great parallel. Um, it's the, the same kind of constituency. At the end of the day, it's the, it's the trustees, the board, who have to place such a measure on the, on the ballot. They need enough input to do that. 
um, and it's got to work its way through the whole process to to understand. And and the difference here, as opposed to the other examples that we gave, is there is deep community input. Right. So without getting the voters, if, if the voters value what the college wants to do in a bond, then they vote to support that. Right. And that's at the at the bottom of it. That's the base of it. Right. But what's complicated is unlike, again, using just the regular school districts as an example, mm-hmm. the process of, of getting it out there is a much more difficult birthing process than it is with a school district where a couple of people sit down, and maybe it's more than a couple, but a few people sit down and say, this is what we want to do. This is what we're going to go out for. This is what the campaign looks like. Let's do it. Right. The, um, the college, by, by law— um, and this is good law, I think. The, the um, we can explore the feasibility of a bond. The college can um, linking linking a future bond to our facilities master plan. What we can't do is once the measure is brought forward by the board, we can't campaign for it right. or any any of those things. So it's there's that separation. The process that the board has to go through takes at least a year minimum um, and this board um, and this bond feasibility that we're talking about now for 2018 has been a 25 month 26 month process um, we lost in 14 we did a, uh, a little post-mortem not a little one but a big post-mortem right. understood that, you know the things that we really did right and that more importantly the things we did wrong um, corrected those um, the need has been consistent along the time, but but the important piece is kind of going through those steps. So it's you know surprising anybody. It's not an internal conversation for two years. It's it's been a community conversation for right. two years, where it really heats up. Like any campaign, is the last four months or so. So. I've had people ask me, are you going out for a bond? And it's like, well, I'm not going out. I'm president, <laughs> right? Um, staff is assembling the information, just like our other examples, for the board. And the board at at uh, a future meeting, likely in July, will either endorse um, the idea of, of that resolution and adopt a resolution to place it on the on the November ballot, or they will make some other kind of decision, but it's going to have to work its way through that process too. Talk about what the opportunities are and how it relates to this complexity we've been talking about for funding outside of the traditional bond issue that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. whether it's public-private partnerships Mm -hmm. or capital campaigns that the foundation may be involved in, Mm -hmm. other kind of self-help methods that this campus or other campuses that, that you've seen can go out and also try and enhance revenue? It, um, thanks for the question. It's good, it, it's good that um, Californians generally are starting to lean into these public-private partnerships. Um, the, the differences between the university system that we talked about before, this is one area where they've been enormously successful is raising funds for their individual colleges or universities either through alumni funds and there's a real sense of affinity with alumni of of whatever undergrad you went to or i went to i went to san diego state they sent me a letter alumni you know can we count on you of course of course you know i'd be happy to you know send you 100 a month 
um, you know, for a year or they'd like it forever, right? Forever. But, but at community colleges don't have that history. So there's very few community colleges, just a handful in the state with an alumni group. Um, so there's been a really interesting um, kind of function that's happened over the past, I'll, I'll call it five or six years, is public-private partnerships have been encouraged now by the governor of the state, the chancellor's office of the state, and all of the folks who really look at strategic planning and fiduciary responsibility at the state level. So they're strongly encouraging in message after message and paper after paper and creating legislation that actually makes it more possible for colleges um, like ours to partner with a, a builder, for example, on on our our uh, student housing project. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a public-private partnership means that it would not be funded from tax dollars, but through municipal bonds sold throughout the state like every other municipal bond. So right. there's no dollar costs. We've got the Silverados coming in in a public-private partnership. There are there are many other people who would like to do partnerships. Um, we've talked maybe in the past a little bit about the wine train that mm-hmm. would like to do a tech center. The viticulture and winery technology folks, um, along with our external foundation, are doing a capital fundraising for a new classroom for for the um, winery technology group. All of those kinds of things are great if you look at what they might accomplish over the long term of a facilities master bond, you know, or a bond, mm-hmm. th- they can certainly help to reduce, you know, with you know, ten million from a public-private partnership means ten million less from a, a local tax base. So that that's a win-win, mm-hmm. and we're blessed. Um, Napa Valley is an extremely attractive target um, and collaborator for business and industry they'd they'd love to do stuff here in the valley well there was also the ability to take advantage or it seems to me the idea is to take advantage of something you touched on earlier which was the unique proposition of community college to be involved with the business community with the local community to be reflective of what the businesses are and what the needs are in that community that is true and it's a um the it's again two sides the the one side is that we're here to do exactly that i mean work with the local community um, establish programs that serve the vast majority of the community there's a couple programs in the in that i would love to be offering that i think would meet some needs in the in the in the region but we're unable to meet we're unable to roll those out because mm. through le- legislation and non-competes we can't compete with our adjacent community colleges and offer the same thing. So for good reason. I mean, so for example, there's an, a really wonderful automotive program at Solano. And, and they, they do, just built this whole new building, I think. They do a great about. job over there. And, you know, what what sense would it make for us to be spending dollars to create another one for our, for our community, even though it's a little closer? Um, and the same kind of things for SRJC if you're you know uh-huh. going up to uh, Sonoma. So there are also rules, yet another group of people hmm. at the Thanksgiving table, which are your competing um, surrounding schools. So even though we'd like to do something, um, 
we can't sometimes without permission from our neighboring schools. And guess what? Sometimes that takes two or three years for them to cycle and get back to you. We've talked a little about how you as, as the president balance all this. How does it work for the board? Talk a little bit about how they, how those individuals that are elected to the board of trustees both understand and balance all of these competing interests. I have a unique perspective on that question. I, you know, I served for 12 years as an elected um, trustee um, in Southern California. I was a, um, very lucky to, to have served um, on Grossmont Cuyamaca. I was president of the board. You know, the, it, the inside the college, everything rises and falls on a board meeting from a president's office. So we start preparing for the next board meeting the day after the one we had the you know that the, the Thursday evening and assembling all the information that a board needs to do. A, a board meeting and a lot of people don't recognize this from the outside. A board meeting is a business meeting among the seven members of the board to conduct the business necessary to keep the 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 college operational, which is open to the public to view. And that is quite different than, say, a city council meeting or something else where it's like, let's talk about um, um, a, a real valid, let's talk about a real valid thing that might, you know, might um, be uh, related to the college, but it's not related to the business of this, uh, of the college. So trustees get a monthly package. They're expected to read anywhere between 100 and 1,000 pages of information, um, which they can't. Nobody can. Trustees also in California are lay people um, primarily, which means they don't have expertise in higher education. M many board members don't have expertise in l layered politics or certainly not processes. Mm -hmm. So when you come in as a new board member, it's like going into the anti-submarine warfare unit in San Diego. There's a ton of abbreviation. There's a there's a whole budgeting process. There's rules and regulations and all kinds of things. And this this piece that you talked about, you know, behind the curtain, there is n no attempt any possible way for the board or the president or the college to obscure anything. In fact, that's the whole system of it. It's completely open. But where people get frustrated and sometimes board members is, you know, can you tell me why the police cars that you're buying have a black back seat? Um, or have four doors rather than two doors? Right. And it gets into the minutia. Um, rather than um, a, a policy kind of description, which is the police, the police need cars. Right. right. I mean, there's an interesting irony in there that that part of the transparency and the fact that it is so transparent is what creates a lot of the confusion. Right. And a lot of what people don't understand. Right. Because it's like the public getting to see the family at that Thanksgiving table. And then thinking, this is a really dysfunctional family, and I don't want to have anything to do with them. We're I'm, never coming back here at all. Yeah. When, in fact, that's just <laughs> the way the family works. I love this analogy that we're landing on because <laughs> it's really true. So if you have that, that monthly meeting 
of the board, which is the Thanksgiving table, when, if you will, if there's a knock at the door and a neighbor is coming over and wants to complain about something, the rules and processes and law that govern how that Thanksgiving table can operate or how our board Mm -hmm. can operate is under the Brown Act and then a whole bunch of policies and regulations that guess what are passed by the board through the participatory governance process we talked about. So somebody will say, for example, I heard this quite recently, you know, um, they come to open session and they address something that's not on the agenda. And it's like, are you going to, are you going to respond to me? Well, the answer is no, because we can't by law respond to you. It's not an agenda item. If we respond to you as a board on something you just brought up from the floor, we didn't agendize that. So therefore we are now breaking the Brown Act and people are, they get frustrated with that, which is, you know, well, there must be something going on here. And it's a, it is a very complex piece of business. So back to your other question, part of the role of the president being successful is to keep it all moving in a seamless way. Sometimes it's not perfect, but the, but keeping your eye on the ball in terms of student success is everything that we're doing going to advance the vision and mission of the college. And then there are a hundred other questions behind every decision. Right. And it's important, I suppose, and this is maybe a good way to bring it, bring it to a close, is to keep in mind that vision and mission and that all of this process, as Byzantine or as ironic or as confusing as it may be, mm-hmm. does have a point. It does. I mean, the, we are, again, here's the good news. Um, the California Community College system is the most successful system on the planet. So we are, with all that we've talked about, it works. Um, we serve more students than any other system in the world, in, in California. Um, we do it in a way that is very cost effective in comparison to the UCs, which are five times or more um, per student. And so you, you really, if you take a step back and, and you're saying, you know, is there transparency here? Yes. Is there a process here? Yes. Um, the, the answer is really we continue year after year after year to widen this funnel, if you will, for student success. Um, and it, it works actually you know students are working their way through certificates and and degrees some to transfer some to work and um it's ex- it's doing exactly what it was set up to do more than that we can't ask right yeah exactly dr ron Kraft, i thank you so much for coming in thank you it's great to i talk. hope we've shed some light on some of this for folks thanks napa the online radio home of napa valley college